I think the Oklahoma City community, the Oklahoma community as as a whole, is proud of uh, what we were able to do and continue to do on this story. If, if anybody wanted to know anything, they'd, they'd look up the Oklahoman. We had people coming for papers for, for weeks, really, afterward. I think overall, you have to look at the coverage was really well done. I mean, we, we covered every angle of it, and we did it from a local viewpoint we had contacts that were made by some of our writers that lasted 20, 15, 20 years. A quarter century later, the memories are still there. The articles and columns still fresh in the minds of Clyde Bunyan, Doug Hoke, and the rest of the Oklahoma staff. Writing about those who survived, those who were lost, and covering the response would create a roadmap for the Oklahoma. Reporter Carla Hinton says the Oklahoman would use similar methods in covering other large-scale events. That did teach us a lot about how to cover uh, these types of events, and then how does the newsroom uh, manage that type of uh, that type of event? Managing the newsroom extended beyond the print and the reporting, as leaders turned to outside experts for help. And we were probably the first paper in the country that did this, as we brought in uh, professional help for the reporters and writers so we could talk about how this affected us and keep us on level ground. I think I think it might have been the first time uh, newsrooms realized that they have to take care, that journalists have to take care of themselves. Joe Height worked with a counselor to enable group sessions, one-on-one sessions, and phone call discussions for the staff to review what they witnessed. Uh, your journalists are in- incredibly resilient But what does that exactly mean? And are we incredibly resilient, but does that mean we resist the fact that that these types of events affect us? And if we resist the fact that they affect us, what do they ultimately do to us? And I think that's what we had to think about. As long as that camera is in between my eye and the subject, that is a really strong wall of isolation. Uh, usually it's after the fact that when you stop, start to think about it and you see the pictures, you know, uh, like I said, at the time you're just, you're reacting, you're taking pictures, you're doing stuff. Uh, it's the stuff afterwards that when you start to think what I actually just witnessed and how that affected people first I wasn't sure how I felt about that because man, I don't know it just wasn't something that was done you know uh, we're tough and we're supposed to be tough and project that Im- that uh, image but I think I think April 19, 1995 changed all that changed all that because there were times when you just you know couldn't could not not let it flow. I, I took advantage of every opportunity that came down. While some members of the staff took advantage of the opportunity, others shied away from it. I did not go because I knew if I went, I would not be able to do it. I wouldn't be able to get up every day and do this. I just wouldn't. It's, it was, you had to just 
for me, the kind of person I am, I had to, I couldn't be thinking too much about it, which is weird because I overthink everything. But I had to just, just, just had to do it. I couldn't overthink it. And so I, I thought that if I went to the counseling, which I probably needed counseling, matter of fact, I'm sure I did, but <laughs> I didn't go. And I don't regret that really because it just helped me get through it. I just, you had to get through it. Reporters Brian Painter and Diana Baldwin were at the scene on April 19th. In the following weeks, Brian worked with the victim's family, and Diana would cover the investigation. You know, I dealt with victims and their families, and I think I treated them really well. I I have no regrets there, Uh, but I I didn't handle me very well. Uh, The Oklahoman the day of offered counseling and in and, and all the days after that. And I always thought, why would I want to do that? You know, because we worked every day. I said, why would I want to do that? I'll do that when we're done with this. I needed some counseling later on. So I secretly went and got help. I wouldn't file it with my insurance because I didn't want anyone to know. I went in the back door of the counselor's office because I didn't want anyone to know. As time went on, I, t- I talked about it. There was still at that point a feeling is that I'm weak if I go to a counselor. And there were some group sessions and things like that, and we were trying to learn along the way ourselves what worked and what didn't work. Reporters and photographers may have been reluctant to open up to a counselor, but they could find solace among their coworkers. Particularly the women. I don't know about the guys in this room, but I know the women, we talked to each other. You know, we cried with each other. Um, yeah, you know, we kept each other abreast of every detail. One thing that I think a lot of people didn't realize is how close that newsroom was, not just on April 19th, but on April 18th and 17th and 16th and every day before. That newsroom was really close. And, and I think if they hadn't been as close, if we hadn't been as close, you know, and there hadn't been that family-type atmosphere, I think things could have been a whole lot rougher. The Oklahoman's blueprint for coverage and self-care would establish a new industry standard. Well, we certainly got a lot of praise. Barry Trammell says it was more than just the coverage model. It was the attention to detail and the care taken with every story. You know, Joe Height was the assistant managing editor at the time. He eventually became managing editor, and that was one of his passions. And um, he actually became sort of a, a uh, leader in the field in discussing it, uh, you know, coverage of victims. And I think um, you know, that's something that we strive for, you know, we... We wrote profiles of all 168 victims, which people really appreciated, I think. Um, That's really what we were sort of known for. Our approach was always with um, neighborly compassion and concern, and even sometimes apologetic, really, because, you know, when people are experiencing such a level of pain um, I mean you're human if you don't feel in a way like you're intruding uh, in some sense um, but you know once you 
once we approach people with that kind of compassion and you let them know that, you know, we're really hurting for them too, um, you know, they talk to you. At that time, we were doing stories, in-depth stories that were affecting the community. We would have an in-depth story that, you know, that would be on the central Oklahoma community. So we were able to do in-depth stories like the ripple effect during the course of the bomb. The Oklahoman won several national awards in 1995, including the DART Award for Excellence in Coverage of Trauma. The paper used the award money to host a workshop on victims' coverage for the state. That's what we started doing. That eventually caused me to become involved uh, with the eventual founding of the DART Center for Journalism Trauma. The DART Center is an organization devoted to ethical and thorough reporting of trauma and violence. The group provides resources for reporters on covering topics such as war, terrorism, PTSD, veterans, and victims. Uh, DART now has its own website. It's, it's, it reaches out. It's got a, you know, it has international offices in London and Melbourne, Australia. Um, you know, I've donated, a, you know, a lot of time to create a booklet. Um, and a lot of essays, and um, so it's it's become a tremendous resource for journalists in the aftermath of this type of coverage, uh, which I still, to this day, I'm still researching that, and still think that that at this level, at the collegiate level, that needs to be taught. It's not taught enough. As the years pass, I've. I'm always stunned when we hit an anniversary and I and I think about the time that has passed. You know, if if a, say a five-year-old kid lost a parent in the bombing, well, that five-year-old kid's 30 today. I mean, it's a full-grown person, a fully developed person who has really spent their entire life without that parent. And I think... You know, and I think of people who say lost their kids in the bombing. I say they were 30. Well, they're 55 now. They've lived half their life with this. So that's what, just the time span is what strikes me. Like most in the state and the nation, 1995 left an indelible mark on the Oklahoman. I certainly don't think that the bombing has gone away for people. I think it will be here for generations and generations. Uh, for myself, I don't think it will ever go away. It certainly changed my life. It, um, we were told that when something traumatic happens in your life, you take care of unfinished business. And I think I've done that in my life. Um, I think a number of people in the newsroom did that. There were people who learned to cry, who didn't cry, including myself. But among the many changes, there was also hope. There were a lot of people who um, seemed to find uh, hope and, and maybe the sense of forgiveness uh, after so many years. Um, and then uh, there were people who 
it was just hard to imagine these lives just snuffed out for no reason. I mean, every time you go down there to the, to the memorial, you see these chairs and you think that all these people, you know, thought they would be going home that evening and, and their lives were just snuffed out. And just to see their survivors down there and, and coming year after year, um, that doesn't surprise me, but I just it just reminds me once again of, you know, how many lives one person can impact.